Welcome back to another episode of Press the Damn Button. My name is Brian Fanzo, founder of iSocial Fans, and we have a good one for you guys today. We are going, we're talking to a natural born philanthropist, a strategist, an architect, an identity architect, but also someone who, who has really opened my eyes in ways um, that I can't even say thankful enough. I can tell you, I, I made the comment uh, to my girlfriend the other day that Jared has been the most influential person on my life and my view on life in the last year without even uh, hesitation. And uh, we actually met each other outside of a social media conference in the hallway as random as random gets. So before I, I intro Jared and bring him in, uh, give a shout out to our sponsor who is powering the live stream version of this show, uh, restream.io. So restream is powering the live stream. We are broadcasting on all of the different channels across uh, social media. And Restream allows you to broadcast up to 30 different channels. Uh, the cool thing is we're actually using the live studio uh, to record this episode. So I sent Jared a link. He's able to pop in via his browser and we're able to rock and roll. No third party, no other um, pieces. I'm able to add graphics and bring some things in. So I do see some of our uh, live people tuning in. Mike Ganino, who's Mike, was uh, is the previous episode uh, of the show. So if you guys didn't listen to uh, episode four, make sure you go back and check out uh, Mike's uh, interview there on episode four. And I actually, I teased out this one uh, a little bit in that episode. And and so Jared, you know, Jared's consulted with organizations and movements such as uh, the American Indian Movement, uh, Keep a Child Alive, One Campaign, Human Rights Watch, Freedom House. Uh, I've done some work recently with NASA. Uh, and the more you look into Jared, the more you're amazed at the background, the unique uh, not only unique approach to different uh, collaborations, but massive use cases. I'm going to give you guys a link at the end. It'll be in the show notes as well um, for his resources. That's off his, his uh, podcast landing page. I've probably shared that out 30 times in the last two weeks. Just great resources um, in all kinds of ways. So Jared, I, I, I kind of tease it up. I'm excited to have you on. I was on your podcast uh I guess it was seven months ago or eight months ago. I don't know how long ago. No. Uh, time seems to have stopped. But um, thanks for jumping on the show. When you talk, when you intro yourself, are you when someone asks you what you do or who you are, what you're about, what is your go-to? What's your what's what? Do, how do you bring yourself in? It depends on the audience, but typically I'm, I'm coming in as a strategist, and and that covers a lot of ground. But uh, identity architect, as you mentioned, has been my my thing for a long time. Um, having started out you know, boots on the ground, hardcore activist, and then moving into the marketing and branding world, understanding the, you know, the connections between why humans do what we do and, and all that. I ultimately just got into realizing that with each project that I was working on as an activist, it needed an identity that was captivating and compelling enough to get people to break out of whatever status quo they were upholding. <laughs> um, so it's all just kind of come down to that. And I think, well, if we want to understand something, we need to understand its identity. What is it about? You know, why is it here? What, what's, you know, and if it's a human, then what is it committed to cause? <laughs> what are you committed to cause? So that's, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a creative problem solver for a lot of my clients uh, and a strategist always sort of looking at, let's see, if we make this move and this move and this move, then it might get us this, you know, and this will get us closer to the goal. So I'm typically doing that and then just looking at um, how do we create an identity that's going to be captivating and compelling. So I will tell you, you know, for those that are listening, uh, you know, a lot of the Black Lives Matter um, content, a lot of things, if you guys follow me on Instagram, if you follow me on a couple different channels, I've been sharing a lot of Jared's view. And I, and I believe you have a really great approach at not only 
talking about white privilege, but the education elements, um, the things that we have to think about. Uh, I'm going to tell a story a little bit later about um, something that Jared corrected for me that I didn't tell him at the time, but like it was so profound that it it really set me on this journey of discovery of you know my where where I've gone wrong, where I need to change, uh, and it was a it was a simple narrative change, but it was something that. Um, I of course put it out there and then I uh, didn't realize that it was what it was. And, I, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but I would love for, you know, Jared, you know, the, the strategist element and, you know, cause and activist, like going to school, that's not like something you go to school from. So like in your early, you know, let's just say high school, even before high school days. Um, and what was, what was, the, where was the influences to take a stand, to have a voice? Like, where would you say that like origin comes from your, you know, your commitment to, you know, not letting, you know, not letting silence be compliance, but also taking different paths to achieve different goals, you know, across humanity. Right. On. Well, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Um, I was a, uh, was an MTV kid and it's so funny that as a kid, like we didn't have TV much in my house. We had, you know, the little TV on the ground and it's got like a switcher on the back for Disney, you know, and, that, and then, like the three other channels or whatever. But I don't even remember how it worked, but for some reason I got MTV as a kid. And through that, at that time in the early eighties, was it the same time that uh, Bono and Bob Geldof were doing live aid in South Africa or all over. Yeah. And then they, uh, the, what was the other one? Oh, oh, there was Michael Jackson. We are the world, you know, the, the big cliche oh, yeah. now, but at the time that was revolutionary. You know, we hadn't, that hadn't happened until then. <laughs> And I think that was an 82, 81 or something like that. And I was just a kid sitting in front of the TV. And I thought, what? There's other kids in another, in other countries, you know, another continent, whatever that, that are going through this right now. That, that just didn't make any sense to me um, and was sort of my first exposure to that. But very quickly, I got the impression that, hey, if a bunch of people come together, uh, you know, like-minded people come together, then we could actually do something. And I was seeing that happen with Live Aid and, and some of the other things that were going down. Uh, and that was where I started my studies because I was intrigued. And I, I mean, I, God bless my parents for, <laughs> for just, you know, for, for letting me get into that and, and supporting it in whatever way they did. I don't really recall, but um, they, they, were, they were not necessarily going after it themselves. They weren't activists necessarily, but they were always people that cared and there was no... Um, discrimination let's just say anywhere in, in in our world uh everything was just kind of open and i'm grateful for that but i'm i recognize that it was a lot of pop culture stuff that really got me involved in that and i i talk a lot about celebrity activism now and right. you know, we, we, people they get a lot of flack like hey you're doing it wrong angelina or brad or whatever and i'm like there <laughs> have been worse trends in celebrity <laughs> support <Right>. this <laughs> And society has always been led by celebrity, period. It doesn't matter if it's Caesar or Jesus or Michael Jackson or whatever. We're always led by celebrity and influenced by that. So I think, hey, let's tune those guys up because they're the ones influencing everybody else. There's lots of story behind that. But that's how I got started, man. It was it was because of that. And I'm really grateful that it went down that way and that I'm still involved in a lot of that now. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that was interesting. One of the things that, you know, the story, we were literally at social media marketing world in San Diego and we had a mutual friend that was like, you two guys need to meet. Uh, and then like an hour and a half of sitting in the hallway, like missing sessions, not even paying attention to what's going yeah. on. The two of us were like in this like deep, you know, and, and really it was a deep discussion on 
how do we move humanity forward without you know technology and innovation and social media um, right. disrupting it? Of course, this was um, a while ago now, right? So uh, you know it was uh, 15, 16 months ago, and I, you know so much has changed. And and I think there's also this core element of you know, when I ever, and this, this might be just it, my ignorance, uh, you know, when I would hear activist or um, even philanthropist, you know, and I've, and I've had the luxury of working with, you know, some great uh, charities, No Kid Hungry, I'm on the, uh, on the social council for them uh, for the last uh, seven years. But whenever, like, our discussion, so much of our discussion was very much this, you know, sharing your, your view, but also kind of having this, like, back and forth dialogue, which is why I love your podcast. It's very, conversational, but it also leads us um, down this path. And, you know, you consider yourself, you know, a human rights activist with a focus on racial and gender equality for 25 years. Now, for 25 years, having that as a focus, and of course, what we're going through now is, you know, a there, the frustration is no doubt the fact that it's 25 years and we're still fighting a lot of the same battles that you were probably, you know, initially, you know, having conversations on. Um, and, and some of the, sh we're going to talk a little bit about some of the shifts that we're seeing now, but I'm curious that, that early, you know, as you started looking at, you know, racial and gender equality and um, you know, you're, you're a dad as well. And like, where did you kind of see the first places that let's, let's take it from a positive spin. Like where was the first place that you saw, Hey, by, by me taking a stand, I can make a difference. Like what, what gave you that initial kind of like, cause I think that's for a lot of people that are out there. When I say press the damn button, the magic happens. Like when you see how easy it is to start doing something, but then the real magic happens when you're able to accomplish something either small or big. Do you remember like that, that first accomplishment that kind of kick started your journey in this path? I do. Um, yeah, I was in, yeah, I'm from Nashville and I was living in Nashville. I was, uh, I guess I was just finishing high school at the time. And I had done a couple MLK marches and things like that. And that was cool. Um, but, or just been involved in them. But then what happened is I went to um, Virginia, just a little Harrisonburg, Virginia, a little town there where James yeah. Madison University that's right. is. Yeah, that's not, that's not too far from where I'm at right now. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was there and I was just there rock climbing and, you know, being, being guy first out of the house. But when I got there, I quickly got connected with the Native American community, um, which there's it's the Shenandoah Valley. So there's quite yep. a bit of that activity there. And I went to a bunch of powwows and things like that, which I'd also done in Nashville before. That was just kind of standard kit for my own love of the indigenous culture, which you and I have talked a lot about. Yes. Uh, and my own heritage as well. But there is a um, there. Were, I guess it was just a couple months after I'd gotten there. And there was a kind of a small group of people that wanted to put together a benefit concert for um, Leonard Peltier. Uh, long story, he's Pine Ridge Reservation uh, in, in uh, Oglala, South Dakota. Look it up. Okay. Uh, Leonard, Leonard Peltier. It's a long story. But I was doing a concert uh, for him, a, a benefit concert. And I thought, well, I'm 17 years old. What the hell am I going to do? You know? um, and and I, I felt like a bit awkward getting into it, but I was so determined. And, and there was a few people that were, you know, interested and passionate enough about it too. Anyway, I fired that thing up and man, it was a big concert and, and we wow. didn't have internet, at least not available to the public. Uh, so back then there was no internet, there was no nothing. I was, you know, putting bulletins out and it was really amazing what happened. And I thought, oh my God, I just raised all this attention, all this awareness and, and, and money that we raised for, for the cause, not to mention the kind of community aspect that happened out of it as well. And I thought, man, just one small little act like that. And, and it really did make a big difference. 
Yeah. And at 17 too, right. That's, that, that's, you know, like, it's yeah. profound like that you're able to, you know, tap into that and see that. And I, and I see some of the live questions, uh, people are some asking some questions around, um, you know, where your optimism for the future, we're going to get to a couple of those pieces too. And, you know, and I think, you know, when you, even when you and I talked uh, you know, a while ago, like one of the things that was really profound was that, you know, I've always believed that the world is full of great people doing great things. We just don't do a great job of celebrating that. We don't. We haven't used a lot of our powers to to amplify those great voices. And you know, the uh, that that piece of you know the things that we connected on um, early on. But I also, you know, I grew up uh, very, you know, very. Not, you know, I grew up across from the ocean. Uh, you know, white guy. You know, going to a school right off the beach. Got the, you know, surf before school. You know, I, I grew up, you know, very much in this in this bubble. You know, military ish bubble in Virginia Beach. But there was also like for me, there was a lot of what a lot of people felt with COVID in a weird way was like, wow, that's what's happening to them over there. I can't believe it's not happening to us. Right. And like the fact that early on you were able to kind of tap into that and and really understand like the power of community and solidarity and bringing those things together, I think is is pretty magical. But I also believe that, you know, a lot of the small things that you've seen over these years um, can also lead to a frustration of not something bigger, right? And not, you know, what is the the overall impact? And, and, and I think this also comes into like, when we think about bigger or global impact, you know, you, you contributed recently to the development and launch of the International Human Space Program. Um, and you've been working with some stuff with NASA. So like, when we look at this, like a total impact, right? Like, I, I, there's a beauty in you know, not only this idea that where you can impact, but talk a little bit about how, before we kind of talk about where we're at today, like, how did you look at like strategist, philanthropist, activist in make, working with these brands that you've worked with, working with these causes, but also kind of connecting it back to things like what you're doing with the space program and, and NASA? Good question. Um, yeah, there, there's a there's an interesting trail of things there. And in, in my mind, it's all so congruent and, and symbiotic. <laughs> but I recognize that looking at it from the outside is, is uh, uh, complex. <laughs> um, so I, as an activist, and, and really, you know, the, up in, from, you know, 15, 16 years old, on up until I was about 28, 29, uh, I did a lot. I was involved with tons of activist uh, initiatives in the United States. I did a lot of work in Katrina right after the uh, hurricane. That was an experience. <laughs> and I had done a lot of work with, uh, on domestic violence issues and women's rights issues. And, and it's certainly always the indigenous stuff along the way right. uh, and, and racial reconciliation. Um, what What I realized along the way is that and I'll fast forward a little bit, I guess. When, when I was in uh, Rwanda and Kenya, in, in East Africa area, I was, I was there for a decade between Rwanda five years and Kenya five years. Um, I, I really had a, I had a, I had a couple of run-ins. I had all kinds of crazy stuff that happened. <laughs> first of all, um, I was, a, I was, a, you know, political activist there in many ways, and and because of that, had some political issues I had to sort through. But ultimately, what happened. Uh, was I, I had this shift in my mind and I said, wait a minute, the, the issues that I'm working on right now, for instance, the uh, uh, if it's the economic inequality or gender inequality or human trafficking, the things that I was doing, uh, combating that, all of these things I could realize were symptoms actually of a way that people think. 
So if I say, okay, we have a trafficking, human trafficking problem, there, there's a tactical part of there's like something happening that we can we can do a sting operation and stop that particular system uh, in, in that place, which I was involved with a lot of those. And I thought, you know, like, and at the time I thought, well, I can pat myself on the back. That was a good thing to do. And it was, and it has stopped an acute situation, but it did not stop the problem of human trafficking, obviously. Um, nor did it even affect it that much. We just kept hitting out what was out on the tentacles instead. So I thought, well, I, I want to make sure that like, what, what if we could change the program, change the system entirely so that it wasn't just uh, continually going out to, to fix the symptom, but rather we were, uh, you know, I was doing something to affect the way people see the world. So that was when I got into more of the identity stuff. I got more into um, the the elements of just trying to change the way people see the world. Uh, that's where I got into the the discussion of the overview effect um, and all kinds of other stuff that I was doing um, to change the way people think. Yeah, and so, so I, I, that's that's how I got into this this discussion about Ubuntu. You know, we I am who I am because of who we all are. And it's this discussion about how we how we interact as humans. And, and, and when we look at the overview effect, which is this this um, sort of it's this thing that happened when astronauts look back at the Earth and they say, oh, my God, there's no borders. There's no delineation between people. There, there's there's no division at all. We're all Earthlings. And I started adopting that language because of my love of space and brought that into the mix. But ultimately, what ended up happening is I just said, look, I. I'm going to dedicate myself to influencing the way people see the world. And, it's, and, and being a father, you know, of little kids certainly helps out with that. I'm constantly in that place of going, oh, my God, these little guys are being programmed right now. I need to be real conscious of that. Um, so I think, well, we're all being programmed. Uh, so I want to be really intentional about um, how I navigate that space. And, and if we change the way people think, and, and people see the world as interconnected and they have this reverence for our interconnectedness. It's really hard to let things happen like the Amazon burning or human trafficking and things like that. Those things don't fit in a society. like. So the, the discussion is going to lead at some point into uh, some of the uh, work that I've been doing now, which is kind of twofold as usual. One is that I'm typically um, I, I have a I have my job front. And then I have uh, the more overt activism front, which, as I explained, is a little bit different than just on the ground stuff that I did for so many years. Um, I've been putting together videos on Instagram uh, quite a bit I, on my IGTV. Uh, you can look at me. Uh, well, it's on the screen right here. Find me at Jer uh, Instagram.com slash Jared Angaza. And I've put a lot of stuff on there recently about um, about racism, anti-racism specifically, and white privilege and some things that have been uh, certainly uh, some delicate issues, especially at a time like this. I admit it is very, um, it's, it's a little triggering, honestly, and it's, it's been tough to some degree to, to recognize that I've got a situation where, you know, 25, 20, whatever, 20, 25 years ago, I was having this, you know, I was screaming from the mountaintops about this, about racial inequality and, and white pr uh, privilege and so on, and and how we needed to deconstruct that. Uh, and, and at the time, it was um, 
you know, there's there's a patriarchy thing in there, too, is I'm always looking at, you know, gender equality and indigenous rights and racial equality and all these things. It's, it's just sort of tied into that. Ferguson. OK, so when Ferguson happened, I I wrote a bunch of articles. That's actually where it was mainly those articles that um, sort of got me into the, the larger conversation back in the United States because I'd been gone for a while. <laughs> I, I read those articles the other day. Um, and unfortunately, I could have written them the other day because they're so true to what's going on right now. Unfortunately, not a whole lot has changed. There have been some dramatic improvements institutionally. Um, grateful for that. But um, they have not translated necessarily into a cultural uh, situation that's changed. Um, culturally, we still have um, a, a lot to get through when it comes to racism and, and up the, what we do to uphold white privilege and so on. Um, and, you know, as both of us being dads and kind of like, as you've kind of told your background, some of the things that have impacted your life, how has, you know, like your role as a dad impacted your, you know, not only the things that matter to you, but also maybe even the way that you approach, you know, some of the topics or some of the things that are you know in your life, or maybe, maybe it doesn't impact it at all. You're correct in your first assumption and that it impacts it very much. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, it, it's made a, a profound difference. You know, I've, I've been an activist for 25 years. I've only been a dad for what, 15 ish, I guess with Francois, my adopted son in right. Rwanda. And somebody asked me a while back, probably on an interview, uh, what, what was it, uh, what was one of the most pivotal experiences of your life that kind of, uh, you know, pushed you further into what you're doing now and so on and so on. And I thought about it. And the first thing I thought of, and, and I still hold to that today, is when I brought Francois into my life, which was a bit of an interesting scenario, but he's a street kid. I was living in Rwanda. He was selling peanuts at my office. I like peanuts. That's how, it, that's how it started. Now I have a kid. Um, but I just kept saying yes. You know, and there's a story behind that. But ultimately what happened was, you know, I was single. It was just me and some other dude, friend of mine, Sam. We were hanging out in Rwanda together. Um, and we were kind of like my two dads <laughs> to Francois. And, um, you know, and so we were hanging out. as before I was married and all that. I didn't even know uh, Ilya at that point. But... I remember, I remember a pretty pivotal t moment then. Um, I just had this moment where I was like, oh my God, there's another human watching me. There's another human that's seeing everything that I do, not just what I write in my beautiful little articles, not what I just put out on the mic, but like to see my everyday life. I was, by the way, I was still drinking at the time. Um, right. I've been clean for... In October, it'll be 13 years. So I've had a good stretch wow. now. But yeah, congrats. <laughs> um, you know, thanks. And and obviously Francois was, was pivotal in, in that decision too. I just I, I remember I was traveling around at the time to raise money for projects in Kigali and in Rwanda. And um, I don't know, I just had a moment where I was like, oh my God, this kid's watching me. I'm a parent. I am um, you know, we hear the the translation of what Gandhi said, it's not actually what he said, but you know, to be the change that you want to see in the world. And, um, I, I often say, be the kind of human you wish the world was full of, which is the uh, same thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, like and, <laughs> um, I, man, I know that my, my, my being a parent every day is just a constant reminder for what I'm putting out to an audience as well. It's just like, 
hey, I, like I have a chance to practice it right here in this moment with my kid. And if I don't do that, shame on me for going out and saying it on the mic, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, there's space, I guess, for that. But I, I, I want to be true to that. And, and I think that the more I lean into being a parent, the better an, an activist and humanitarian that I become. Um, I, I recognize that my... Um, I'm more I'm more keen on 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 practicing being the kind of human that I wish the world was full of, uh, because I have that accountability built in beside me with my kids every day, and I and I know always that that's the thing I care about most, those kids, and ultimately I also know that my greatest contribution to the world is hopefully those kids choosing to be little vessels of love, and that's that's an addition of love to this universe that I've contributed to. Um, I'm a part of it anyway. So yeah, yeah. And I, I tell myself that every time I, you know, I have three daughters, um, and and my partner, she has one as well. And I, you know, sometimes like with three, and I'm outnumbered three to one. You know, and, and when it's just me, and so I, I always tell myself like, this is my opportunity to have three people spreading the the power and joy and you know yeah. impact. Uh, you know, when you're when you're like, man, why did I have three there? What, what's this outnumbered piece? But you know, like in your background, like there's a couple of things there that you said, right? Like the uh, you've been sober for you know a number of years, but also like kind of like your experience in Rwanda, and I I think you know, part of the you know as I started off this episode, you know you've inspired me in many ways, and, and like I said, you were the reason I really wanted to have this podcast because you know the way we connected was you know a hallway and a conference, right? And it led to an immediate call, phone, Zoom call that we could have talked for four hours. And then, you know, I was consuming your content. And, you know, at that time, we neither one, you know, you never know where life is going. But there are certain ways that you're the way that not only you're writing, but the way that you're conveying messages is is very authoritative and very raw and real. But it comes from like this place that you just feel it right. And, and I think for a lot of people when they when we're trying to drive change, if you don't convey it in that with that level of emotion, it's oftentimes like telling people what they're doing wrong and like, or, you know, kind of like broadcasting one way. And so like your time in Rwanda, you know, like that experience of, you know, you know, seeing Rwanda, you know, I've been to a lot of countries. I haven't been to Rwanda. Uh, I've been to a couple of different countries in Africa. Um, and I think most of us, you know, most of us ignorant Americans probably are, our uh, opinion or our view of Rwanda is from one movie, right. From uh, right. Uh, many years ago, but I'm curious, like, when you look at, you know, the getting clean, Rwanda, dad, but also kind of being, kind of discovering activism so early, how do you, how do you convey that to clients, to people that are in your life about like where it, you know, it keeps you grounded, but it keeps you dedicated to what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, at this point in my life as a, you know, as a consultant, um, I, you know, I, I put a lot of stuff out there to say who I am and what I'm about, right? And I'm, I'm very vocal about that. And at this point in the game, when someone hires me or, or whatever, they've, they've got a pretty good understanding of what they're getting into. Um, so, and they know that I'm going to toe a certain kind of line. And, and that's been true everywhere that I am. And with all the space agencies and things that I work with now, I'm the one that's constantly bringing that discussion back in of inclusivity, of, um, you know, how, how, for instance, like with the, the space stuff, you know, we always talk about our future in space and what that looks like. And I'm like, that's just our future. We just, I mean, <laughs> it's our future. We just happen to be going to space. But what we're talking about is the future of humanity and, and the future of humanity and the future of us in space depends on who we resolve to be 
on earth today. Man, <laughs> it's that. just yes. the same stuff played out there. <laughs> so, um, so really what I, what I get to do in this realm that I've created here with my consulting is, is to be a, a futurist and, and to also say like, this is the future I hope we have. And if we're going to do that, we have to address the way we see the world because the, the thing, so many, I think we talked about this a little bit on the first part of this podcast, but I, I saw that the, the things I was working on in Rwanda, in Kenya and Congo and Uganda, all over the place, even in the States before that, cause I, I was activist for uh, 12, 15 years before I went to Africa. Um, and that was working on domestic violence issues and racial issues and, and, and racial uh, equality and, and so on. And I, and I just realized that so much, so much of it was symptoms. It was symptoms that I was fighting. I was on the streets fighting this. If you're on the streets, you're fighting the symptoms, period. Right. Um, if your boots on the ground, you know, you're fighting the symptoms. And, th- and we need that. We, we definitely need that. Um, there's a, you know, th- I have these three P's of philanthropy, you know, the, the people, okay. people, politics, and perspective. And mm-hmm. the, the, the people, is is that mother Teresa? like i'm here to help and soothe the pain the pain is there i'm here to help right the pain's there mother Teresa wasn't stopping any systemic <laughs> issues she wasn't curing any issues or problems or whatever she was just simply soothing the pain you know it, it, which it, is a role, she right? was kind of being jesus you know to, right, to yeah someone. or giving something to believe in aligning that you know like that person that was connecting at that level right and i, and I love oh. that you're taking these three p's because for the audience too, this is part of like, if we look at a lot of the movements, a lot of things that we're coming in right now and people that feel like they're not sure what to do or the, where their voice is set. And, you know, I've been very, ab, you know, um, you know, very vocal on the idea that I was, you know, um, naive to believe that my silence was, was actually helping versus learning the fact that my silence was actually really aligning to compliance more so than anything else and, you know, being active in what you're doing. But I think the three P's is also breaking down the idea that there are different roles and different ways that people play a, a role in this, right? So that first right. one is people. And you kind of talked about another tree says, well, what's, what's the next two there? I love that you pointed that out about the role too, because the reason I started writing it is because I said, I was talking to a group of activists and I said, you need to know your role. Let me break it down. Yep. It started off differently, but it ended up as <laughs> three feet. <laughs> um, so the, the, there's people, and that's soothing the pain, being Mother Teresa, you know, doing that. Um, then there is politics. Now, let's be clear about what politics is. Politics comes with our politicos, which essentially, yep. let's not just translate, but interpret. The interpretation of what that means to extrapolate from there is, is that it is the way that we organize ourselves as a society. So that's important to me, right? I, like I, you say politics, people think one thing. I'm like, well, I'm just talking about the way we organize ourselves. <laughs> so politics is the middle one. Politics is the one that says, I'm going to change the system. We need systemic change. We need institutional change. We need all these kind of things. So that's the kind of people that are, are uh, in, the, in the politics bucket. They're working on changing the systems. That's a lot of what we see now, like out in the public, the most is people trying to change the systems, okay. changing the way we do business, changing the way we do politics, policy, things like that. Um, the, the, the third one is perspective. Now, perspective, that's the philosopher. That's the, and, and honestly, that's kind of where I've landed lately is to say, yeah. let's change the way people think. Right. Because if I'm, if I'm orchestrating 
or involved in some facet a sting operation for you know anti-trafficking in some east african country let's just say <laughs> if i were doing that yes. um and when i was doing that ultimately what i what i remembered was thinking wait a minute the only reason I'm here staked out doing this weird thing is because someone believes that trading another human is okay for money, that, that someone viewed another human as a commodity and they, and they, they sensitize them, desensitize themselves to some degree, I guess, and, and sort of normalize that kind of situation. So this is what I do. I trade humans. Right. So I thought, what if I could change the way people see other humans. It was where I started. And, and just in general, you know, what if we change the way people see? How do we do that? What do we, how do we get into the program? Like of this, we're little computers, right? So how do I get into the program and just change the operating system so that that person doesn't think it's a good idea to sell humans, for instance, just to simplify it. Right. So, so we have that, that uh, people soothing the pain, politics, changing the system and perspective, which is changing the way we see such that the system is easier to change at that point. And there are a few people suffering. You can work your way back down the line. Now, I also want to be clear. That's not a hierarchy. All three of those are absolutely needed just as much as the other. Which I love. As which and like, Anyone that's seen my keynote, I, I, I walked through a very similar approach to like, and I always talked about it in change as a whole. We can align it with technology, can align it with whatever. And for me, that was a big piece of it, right? Knowing not only your role, but knowing the fact that these things all have to work in conjunction to move forward. There's, you know, there's some synergy and there's also this, you know, the, and I hate the word balance because balance isn't the right way to, to look at it, but there's also like the idea Harmony. of like, Harmony. I like, oh, that's much more. See, there you go. See, I told you guys, there he is. So I, and, and I love that you went with the, those three Ps. And if we're, we're taking this at a, at a you know, bigger picture there too, you know, you were talking about, you know, um, trafficking, right? And uh, the, one of my first exposures to having true influence with my social media was working with, um, with uh, Stop a Race, which is child trafficking here in the United States. And I got to work with them on a couple of different campaigns. And it was the first time that, you know, like I talk about transparency and vulnerability and, you know, some of those things that I talk, you know, like in my life or in my world uh, as far as, um, you know, hey, these are things that, that you have to put out there, ADHD. But there, there's a whole different concept between being transparent and driving conversation or shifting perspective on very difficult topics to talk about. And you kind of touched on that a little bit on the idea, like you have to wrap your head around, first of all, that there are really bad people in this world that are doing bad things. And unfortunately, I think the world is pretty aware of that in the current moment, right? We're just, I mean, in my opinion, we oftentimes give that too much light, but in this in this concept, it's the idea that recognizing that, but then you have to figure out, okay, how do I take that? How do I take that record? And then how do I, get people to have start having those difficult conversations and then even the step further how do i make it to where i'm not so polarizing that it's um it's pushing those away that need to hear it but at the same time i have to be polarizing enough to make a difference and you said something earlier that i thought was so important i wanted to bring it back to that because you said you're pretty good at toting the line now i think something that you and i have aligned very closely is that like we're opinionated we're strong. We, 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 we're, you know, I think we're unique in that way a lot, especially now and being like, we stand up for a lot of things we believe in and we're, but there's also like, you know, I work for the government, you work for, you know, with NASA, like there's an idea of like knowing where things fit and where things go, but there's also 
and this is how I put it, and I would love to hear how you kind of frame it, is like, there's some things that I've kind of aligned and said, these are my non-negotiables, right? Like, these, are, these things are things that, like, I'm willing to lose clients, go to bat, do whatever I need to do um, in those pieces. And so I'm curious, when, when you look at this whole idea, right, having difficult conversations and kind of still try, like being the translator of that perspective, while also being able to tote the line when you know you need to, how have you, like, was that a maturing process for you? Because for me, the hardest part was I started being bullish on some topics and it would force me out of the conversation. And I realized that you can't change the game unless you're part of the game. And I was like, I would disrupt so hard, they would kick me out of the game. And then I was on the outside trying to influence the game and having no true impact. So when you look at that, how do you look, like, kind of wrap your head around toting the line, shifting perspective, having difficult conversations, while at the same time, there's some things that, hey, this is, you know, take it or leave it. All very good questions. Yeah. I mean, I mean and I'm a strategist, not just for my own life, but right. that's what I get paid to do. So I have to think 10 steps down the road. I have to play chess and think, wait, if I do this, this is the most likely outcome. If that happens, it's going to cause this chain reaction. So I'm constantly calculating that stuff. And I'm typically pretty calculated in what I say, if it's an article or if I'm on the mic or whatever. Yes. And, and that comes also just from practice. Like I know if I have to say something a certain way, I will sit here with Evernote up in front of me and my notes in front of me and you know, yell at my own screen for 15 minutes yep. before I get on a call, before I do something, because I'm practicing. It's training. It's boot camp, man. <laughs> and like yourself, I know like we care enough to do that. Oh, yeah. To, practice, to show up that way because um, people are listening. So that's one side of it. The other side, too, is to, to in terms of towing the line and, and looking at the um, how far do you push how strategic do you hold back? You know, that kind of thing. There's a couple of factors there. One, um, for me as, as an outright like activist, it says activist in my title, you know? So, um, in doing that, it's, it is certainly beneficial to, to be able to look back through, uh, if you Google my name and you go back 20 years, it's consistent. The whole yep. message is consistent. <laughs> it is. Trust me. I did some research. I, I went down some rabbit holes and I was like, wow. And like even some very interesting like articles that were like um, retrospective on you that I, I'll even put in some of the show notes um, were very, uh, very inspiring to see like the, the connected thread through all of that. Right. And I, that mm. was something beautiful that I don't think a lot of us have. Right. And I think it's okay if we don't. Right. Part of this also is. Like, yeah. You don't yeah, have to have that. Yeah. But but having the consistency in the messaging is helpful, and and I'm I'm grateful that I have that lineage now, that track record now. Uh, and I look back at the articles I wrote the other day during Ferguson. I wrote six big articles, and 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 those got a decent amount of airplay. Yes. In that, I just went through and read them again, and I could have written them yesterday, man. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, th- there, there's a there's an interesting part of this that I want to touch on because in in that I am consulting. And, and I'm, I'm, quote unquote, the strategist for multiple organizations and some other influencers, individuals, yep. and so on. Now, a lot of times when I'm writing, most of the time, honestly, the, the majority of my writing at this point doesn't have my name signed on it. It has a, a bunch of other names that more people right. would recognize. And it's coming from their voice, which is 
a mixture of their principles and priorities and ways. And then my strategy and coming in and saying, and this is what you, how you need to say it if you need to get this result. So it's a mixture of us and that, and then we create kind of this collective voice, but it has a name signed at the end of it. Now I have a lot of respect and honor for that. What it means is that instead of me signing off saying Jared and Gaza said this, I get to sign off as someone else (laughs) and knowing that this person believes in what I said, this person has worked their way to make billions of dollars (laughs) to run an organization so that then I can come in and consult and they can say, yes, we stand by this. So I I've extended my platform because one, I didn't have to have my name on everything. If, if my real mission is to influence people and to, and to inspire them to choose love over anything that may stand against it, then I have to be willing to be flexible in my tactics. And that means maybe saying, hey, I'm going to write this as someone else that has a big platform of influence to an organization or to an audience that would probably never listen to my tattooed hippie looking self. So I, I, that's power. And, and, and I have to I have to really, really be respectful of that. If I step out of line in that, I lose my seat. I also lose the trust of that audience and that person that I'm working for. Now, you're also, you are are so rooted in your beliefs for the the cause that you're willing to do whatever for the cause, right? Like that's, that is a, that is a core component of this, right? Like, and I think Absolutely. that's, that's so powerful. And I think it's such a lesson in business and in, you know, and it's also like, the funny thing is the flip side of that is the reason that I was so fresh. Like when you and I were connecting, I was like, how did I not know about you earlier? How do I not like my entire community? How do you, how have you, know, and, and part of it's because, you know, I probably had known of your writing and your message through other vehicles. Right. And I think that is, there is something there that you know that is ultimately beautiful there's also something in the idea of like where that all fits in like you having aligning the right things right thing and i think i love how you said and this is what i always i always say like no one brand no one experience no one campaign is ever worth losing the trust that i have with my audience right like i don't care what the brand is i don't care who like if they want me to do something that you know that might blur that line that that risk i don't care how much money is kind of at that game and do you, so like, there, you used a word earlier that I liked. You said calculated, right? And sometimes when someone hears calculated and you're, you're calculating the words you use, calculated in how you approach things, calculated on when you put your name versus someone else's name. If someone looks at that and says, wow, you're being very, um, you know, you're almost being businesslike in your message of love. Doesn't that feel inauthentic? How would you reply to that? How would you kind of take that? Yeah, there's a there's a fine line there between what is perceived as manipulative versus calculated versus if you want to be more conscious about it, intentional. Intentional. Um, I'm very intentional with what I say and how I say it and where and when and timing is important, all those things. Um, Yeah. So I. Man, this is this is an interesting one. I've never talked about this on the air, but I will do it with you, brother. Um, oh, right. <laughs> that's what I like to hear. See, that's what we got for you. I, I've studied, you know, the art of war extensively, yes. and 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 Sun Tzu as human, and and then on through other extrapolations from that particular study of of how how do humans operate, what how do we handle conflict more appropriately. 
um, I'll, I'll just say some of my interpretations of Sun Tzu. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, my, my interpretation of, of the art of war after reading about 400 times is that um, if you've gone to war, you've lost already. Um, if, I, if I have a disagreement with you, for instance, I'm, in, I'm inclined to come to you and listen, to give you a platform to say what you need to say. I'm inclined to come back to you and reflect that and say, this is what I heard from you. Um, there's some dialogue back and forth that are strategic that I've studied and how to do this as well, but and right. to reflect back to you, uh, to help you feel understood. We know that the greatest gift yes. often that we can give people is, to, is for them to feel understood, right? Yes. So I want to give you that gift if you're my enemy first, because then we can have a real conversation. Um, and then ultimately what I want to recognize is your values. What is it that you value the most right now? When I recognize that, then I have the opportunity to align what I'm trying to get to happen with your values and to right. find a path of harmony for that. And ultimately, my greatest win is for you to say, you know what, I'm going to do this and it's what I wanted. And you tell me that and you do it. And I say, wow, thanks. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, the most beautiful. It's like the, it's the greatest feeling there is, right? It's that idea of, of leading, educating, connecting, relating, and letting someone get to the place that you knew you wanted them to get, but do it on their own path. Because not only is that rewarding for them, it's also rewarding for us, but there's also, there's a beauty for where that goes beyond that, right? When someone gets to that themselves. And I think this is in our social media world, and I think even on your podcast, and for those that are listening, you definitely have to check out the, uh, so it's no edit, right? Yeah. No edit. Yeah. So I, 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 last time I said, I was like, I can't remember if it was correct, but um, I'll have the link in the bio. It'll be near the top there. Um, we talked, you know, the, the humanity of social media was the topic. And I actually think the, the retrospect, I listened to it last week. The, we could have recorded that yesterday. We could have. Oh my goodness. And like, there are parts in there where we're not, we're not talking Black Lives Matter. We're not talking coronavirus. We're not talking uh, George Floyd. We're not talking uh, Pride Month but we're yet talking all of those things yeah. in that entire piece of it. And I think one of them that we talked about that was really enlightening for me. And I remember I got off the episode and I, I talked to Jennifer and I was just like, Oh my God, like we're aligned in, in this belief, but this is, this is, I think the most so important in this moment where we're at right now is this idea of like, we are more divided. We have, you know, we have a, divider in chief in office in our, you know, in our country. And we have our own, like the division pieces of it is very, um, you know, it's, it's very unnerving in, in many circumstances, right. In the, the division. And, um, you know, the, I was actually talking and Jennifer and I were talking last night and she said, you know, why are people, why are people so, what I, I don't remember what the exact topic was. And I was like, well, here's the thing. I was like, our division is so strong at the moment in polarizing and choosing sides and we're all of a sudden turning a mask into a political piece of, uh, you know, hey, do we want to protect other people? Um, but we're not going to go that space of it. But part of it came to me was like, okay, it's one thing to acknowledge that we're divided. It's one thing to acknowledge that we need to change. It's another thing also, and this is something that you really helped me see uh, through your writing, also through the conversations you and I have had, it's also an understanding of the words that you use are so important. And mm -hmm. the thing that you corrected me on, which was like an aha moment that I had in the last, it's the number one aha moment I had, was I, I had sent you something that, I, that a video of writing that I had done. And you were like, Brian, I love it all. I'm glad that's the, the position you're running. But just remember, like the, the word you, I was using, as I said, you know, 
um, the system is broken, it needs to be fixed. And you corrected me and said, Brian, no, the system is working and it was, it was built to do this. The system now needs to be broken to fix it, to, 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 to change the future. And I mean, I, I, I took that and I mean, it's been inspiring me to write, inspires me to look at things differently. I went back and watched documentaries and TV shows. Actually, if you guys um, listen to the episode I did with Aaron uh, King, episode uh, number one on this uh, for this show, I talked about Baltimore Rising, and I watched that documentary. I live in Northern Virginia, um, and after coronavirus, at the, the after the conversation you and I had, I went back and watched the documentary again with a completely yeah. shifted perspective. And also the notes. I'm a I'm a note taker when I watch documentaries. The notes I took were so different in the actions that I wanted to stand for. And it was a simple, that simple, not only perspective change, but it's that simple, you know, that reality. And so I'm, I, I would love for you to, you know, like, and I, and I will include your writing in the show notes and, in this piece of it. But as we look at the power of social media, the power for us to everyone have a voice, right? And like, I mean, let's face it, you know, if George Floyd isn't on camera, what, I mean, it's, it's such a, it's such a, shift in dynamic right the ability to take something on video put it out to the world for us to magnify the injustices that have been happening since the beginning of time especially in this country right it's not that any of this social media didn't create any of this it's exposed it and we have to make a decision do we blame the system or do we blame the social media or do we actually try to drive change but you know like i've i've everyone that i've ever run into that knows you and we have a lot of mutual friends that we didn't really even know we had their, their words for you are like inspiring, passionate, dedicated, but they also kind of put it into this realm of like mission driven believer. Right. And like, and I, and I love that. I like, I love that piece. And so as a mission driven believer and something that you said off air earlier about, you know, where you might be living or where you might be moving, how do you look at where we're at now? Because there is, a, there is this like weird white privilege look at of things and we're like, finally, things are changing because the conversation's not disappearing right now. We're still you know, driving forward. Now, granted, it needs to be three months, six months, three years from now, still driving forward. How, do you, how are you looking at, like in this moment, we're in the beginning of July, 2020, how are you looking at where we currently are at and maybe your the things that like you wrote an article today, like how how are you looking at these things to get people to have that perspective, but also for you to dial in that like that intention. Your question, um, I, yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about that, obviously, and thinking like, well, okay, so what's the stopgap that I'm, or what's the roadblock that I'm recognizing now? It's, it yep. changes all the time. Um, and the, the one the the article that I just wrote uh, was called "Power, Neutrality, and Participation," which covers a lot of what we've just been talking about. Actually, um, it, it covers the the silence is violence kind of yes. scenario, and and the fact that I feel like the silence is is really just a white privilege luxury. <laughs> it is. Um, so we, in looking at the future, what um, what book did I just? Oh, the the. Uh, what is it? What is the book called? I'll have to look it up. But the the Tanahasi uh, Coates, the newest one. Oh yeah. The the that's not actually. I don't know if it is his newest one, but that book was. It just rocked my world. Between the world and me is what it's called. Okay. I just looked on my phone, um, and it is a story, a true story, his story, and 
it walks you through what he experienced and what he felt. And, and it's, it's in, in the context of writing a, a letter to his son. So that resonated very much with me as well. And having written some letters to my older son about some similar things uh, and now starting to do that more with my eight-year-old daughter. Right. Uh, and, and so I, when, when I look to the future here, I, I think, okay, so what, what's needed right now? Um, I think that we need to lean into empathy in a way that we never have before in this country. Um, empathy takes us away from our, our, our love affair with familiarity because yes. uh, it changes the story that we're, we have to let stories in that we'd never let in before. We have to get... And, and feel, feel, we have to be open enough to feel for things that we've either blocked out or weren't even exposed enough to understand how to feel for, right? Which is absolutely, which is part of that feeling for many of us, the white privilege side of the house of this, like having uncomfortable conversations we've never had before. And all of a sudden, like I would find myself just, I mean, like I was just sitting in my bed at night and I'd just start crying. Just like, just like just visually upset in this idea of like, Hey, was my head in the sand? Where did I like, where did, where did all of this, like how the hell did our, our history classes throughout school not educate us on all of these components like Juneteenth, right? Like, I mean, like just the, the concept of that being so, I was so naive to that day, to that, to everything that, that evolved. And I think part of that was like opening up to these feelings. And then it was also like, okay, how do I even judge myself? And I think this is probably something that you that do, you know, the kind of approach too is like, you also have to move from a place of like judging yourself to changing yourself. And I think probably the most important piece, which I know we both agree on is changing how you respond to others who have not felt that. Right. And that to me has been, I mean, it has been, you know, we can use the term like, you know, be, don't just be against racism, be anti-racist. I've, I've actually approached that in everything, right? Like I I'm very loud and uh, you know, uh, advocate in the LGBTQ community. And the, I, there was elements where I chose silence in certain scenarios that I am no longer choosing uh, you know, silence. And it was in a, a sheets gas station, uh, you know, four days ago that um, I decided to approach something and I was very intentional in the words I chose knowing where I was and, and, and the context and it was very well received, but I think in, put me back three months ago. And I, and I don't, I just kind of like, yep. And I, you know, kind of like, I acknowledge it's wrong. I know that I know better, but I don't put myself there. And I think there's a beauty in the way that you're looking at a lot of this in that it allows us to that hill of empathy piece, like feel these new feelings, but we have to do it in new ways. How, how do we approach that in new ways? Yeah, I think the, you know, just be, it's an openness and a willingness. And, and to some degree, I feel like, okay, if you say you really, really care about humans and you really care, and I could talk about the planet and other things too, but if right. you really care about humans and, and let's just say you, you really believe that racism is bad and that it exists and that we need to do something about it. Um, if that is the case and you want to be part of that and, and, and you recognize that silence is a white privilege <laughs> and right. and that uh you know if we have some fundamental things here you know the the, the being human is not just it's not being white <laughs> it's, right. it's our uniqueness that makes us human um if, if we're starting from there then i would say okay so if if you could empathize a little bit deeper 
perhaps you could understand more. Is that okay? You know, if we can get into that and if you're going to do that, then, okay. So then how do I empathize? How do I become more empathetic? How do I strengthen my empathy muscles? And that really just comes from, I think, throwing yourself into the mix, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to be wrong, being willing to be out there on the kind of the, the, you're standing out there on the stage, you and I specifically, um, and you're saying, I believe in this. And you know, people are going to throw stones at you. You know that people are also going to look at you uh, from all sides and say, you're doing it wrong. Yes. (laughs) You know, you're not being the right kind of ally and so on and so on. Um, I heard it. That's a, that's a difficult position too, right? We'll touch on in a second. That's one we should touch on. Yeah. Yes. Um, what, one of the things, I, I, I'm a big fan of Jacqueline Novogratz from Acumen Fund. And she, oh, yeah. I, I was there kind of in, in, the, in the positive wake of her work in Rwanda. She's a legend. And, and she said on, on Krista Tippett's On Being the other day, she said, look, I hope that future generations look back at us and they say, look how hard they tried, not look how blind they were. And I think that's important oh. because it, it, it's, it's not look how perfect it was. It's look how hard they tried. And I think we have to really try. And so, for instance, the other day, it's like I was trying to get a friend, a close, close from childhood, 20 some, 30 years, whatever, friend to just watch a friggin' movie, man, <laughs> to, to watch 13th, I think is what it was. Oh, and, and then, and then oh, the second such a good one. Oh man, 13th was amazing. Um, it's like all the studies that I've done my whole life, but we didn't have Netflix and the yep. internet and social media back when I was doing that stuff. And now I have a little tool I can like say, well, I had to study for 15 years, but here's 13th. You can get most of it right here. <laughs> um, uh, so, so great, do that. That's a blessing. You know, that's, a, that's an evolution in a, in, a, in a good way. So if, if someone would watch like When They See Us, a film like yes. that, that, oh, that really, that, and that's an, that's, a, that's an exercise of empathy. Yep. It's, it's to say, I'm going to allow myself rather than getting all my news from social media and whatever. Um, I'm going to actually take two hours and go into a, a world that happened for real that I'm oblivious to, yep. you know, and, and I'm going to go through that and allow myself to feel the feels, to feel what this other person or people in that case have gone through. And the thing, the conversations like between the father and the son, the, the black father and black son saying, look, I know that what you're saying is, is, is right and true and good, but things in this country don't work that way. And just to see his pain and the things that he had to go through. Like and if you can allow yourself. As a dad, the conversations that I didn't know that people that I love have to have that I never even approached or the thought process never crossed my mind because I would never have had to have that conversation with my kids because my kids are white and you know, it, it, the, that exposure is so different. Um, I, I want to push back a little bit on something because I got pushed back. I, I got a lot of private messages from people, you know, giving me like that weird white people, white privilege advice of like, be careful how bold and strong you are with your opinions. Like we're all fight. You know, we're all on the same side and I'm no longer okay with someone like coming at me at that piece. Cause it's like, Hey, you know who I stand for? You know, I think, but a couple of the conversations and this is where I, I mean, if you, if you go into Netflix and you hit the black lives matter category, I walked the entire category, like every single, there's not one I, I, there's like, I mean, I watch more documentaries than you would like, and every, even ones I had already watched, I wanted to watch with a new perspective, but I wanted to touch on this is that I had a couple of people come back and like, Brian, you're doing, you know, silence is violence and you're being very, 
you're telling me that me taking the time to be educated about my stance means that I'm adding to the violence. And I would love to hear your thoughts because I think there is also this interesting spot we're in where if I convince myself that I'm learning and, and attempting to be em- empathetic long enough, that this conversation might change to where I don't have to stand out to have the conversation, right? I look at a lot of my white privileged yeah. friends and I feel in my gut that they're, they're using their focus on being educated as a crutch to not have to take a stand when things are very at their current moment. And that frustrates me. How do you look at that? How, how, how should, it was a close friend. Like one of my best friends said, Brian, I, I, I was shooken that you are pretty much putting out a message out there that I associate with myself. I'm adding to the violence because I'm taking the time to be educated. All right, let's take that one. Um, I look at it like this, man. And, and I'm a, I'm of the mindset. I think you're probably very similar in this regard that everything is training, right? Yes. And even, even like from a physical perspective, I'm a very physical guy. I'm going to go run in the 80 degree sun in San Diego after <laughs> you and I get off the mic. <laughs> um, and I, I like that. Um, I can look at everything as training. So if I go to the grocery store, I'm going to have all the bags, you know, heavy as I can get it going out of the car, <laughs> up, up steps if I can, you know, if I'm in a building, I go up the steps or down the steps, not the escalator elevator and so on. So I see it all as training. That's number one. So if everything is training like that, then I say, okay, well, what about the things that I really, really care about? For yep. instance, if, if I wanted to be a scuba diver, right? I'd probably read a bunch of books on it. I'd watch some videos. I'd see who's the coolest scuba diver out there and I'd learn from them. Right. Um, I, I'd, I'd get into it. I'd watch documentaries. I'd soak it in. And then what I would do is I would respond to that accordingly. I would change the way that I live. Yes. I would change the way that I think. I would maybe look at some other things that I hadn't thought of. Like maybe I might start studying like underwater marine life because if I'm scuba diving, I ought to know about that stuff, not just the technicalities of the scuba gear and so on. So what I'm saying is like when I really care about something, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to dive into right. it and make it my thing. So when it comes to being an anti-racist rather than just being sort of against racism, which is what right. a lot of America right. is. For sure against racism. Right. Because your last statement, the last, the end of your last statement was like, you know, if you don't, if, if you believe we're all humans, you believe racism is bad. Um, the piece that you said that at the end, that I think it's, you know, it's kind of glossed over for most people is you believe we have to change something, right? Like there's a lot of people that believe those first two and they're like, <laughs> I know, that's why I added that. <laughs> right. Like, but like that third one is like, Hey, do you, and, and even, I would even add the fourth is like, do you believe like you, like individually, are you willing to make the changes and, and take that changes like forward, right? And, and I even think this goes into press the damn button, right? And, and to kind of add to that question I asked you, my response back to my friend is I was like, I would love for you to learn out loud right now. I believe right. that what you're, hey, talk about what you're reading, talk about what you're consuming, and you don't have to do it from a place of expertise. It has to be a place of education because I do not believe it is vulnerability. okay. Right, yes, it is. And it's also like, hey, if you're willing to say this is what you're watching or reading, then it might inspire someone else, which is a lot better than using it of like, now the flip side of this is what you mentioned earlier that you wanted to get into as well, is that there is also this, idea of, hey, let's get everyone finally to do something, 
right? And it could be a black square on Instagram, which I became very passionate about, like not the black square, the reaction on how we look at it at the end. Um, but when we get people to start moving in a direction that is either not their norm, something brand new for them, maybe they're feeling something they never felt, and they're finally taking one step forward. It could be, for many of us, we would look at that step like, give me a break. That step should have been taken 60 years ago. Um, for other people, it's like, I, that step is like every, it's such a big step. We also have a tendency to shut people down because they're not doing it the right way or the way that we want them to believe. And I get very, very emotional with that because I would prefer rather than us telling people what, you know, like shutting people down who are doing it wrong, right? They're, the black tile, for those that don't know, was like uh, on one of the days, it was actually a musician, uh, a musician uh, two people that were fans of a band said, hey, um, you guys shouldn't put out your album this Tuesday. You should put out a, a black tile instead, you know, in solidarity. And all of a sudden it kind of caught a wave of a whole bunch of white privilege being like, wait a second, I can post a black square to show that I'm, um, you know, I'm in solidarity. And then the Black Might Lives movement group was like, hold on a second. If you're using our hashtag with these black squares, you're now clouding our feeds with all of this stuff that has no value, right? And so, which is completely understandable. But there was this like weird, that morning, I remember like waking up at 7 a.m., there was this weird spot of like, tell everybody to delete it, tell everybody that they did this wrong. Like, I can't believe they, why would they do that, right? And then for me, like my, my first reaction was like, no, 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 we have to like, we have to go, we have to look at it and say, hey, everyone, remove the hashtag from your post. And then like, let's educate, like, congrats, I'm glad that you find, like, I mean, I had people coming to me and saying like their mom or dad, who they always looked at as, you know, you know, growing up in a, in a way that, you know, like that maybe their parents had slaves or whatever it may be, we're, we're emailing them saying, can you show me how I can put a black square on my Instagram account? Right. Like, like, which is like, if you think about it, it's like, that, that is a, a start, right? It's not good enough. It's not like the right thing, but like, how do you look at that? How do you, how do we help promote people to do the right thing? Even if they start by doing it the wrong way. Very relevant. Uh, there's a few angles of that. And I want to uh, let me break it down a little bit uh, on one side. And I'll take the real controversial risk on my side and just saying, look, as an anti-racist, and I'm somewhat speaking from the uh, that side of the Black Lives Movement um, movement and saying or Black Lives Matter movement to say that uh, my stance in that, first of all, and, and having been in this, you know, battle for so long and i see someone come up and and do and sort of fumble the ball fair enough right. you know it happens um I, I think okay well i can look at that person and say look you're doing it wrong you don't belong here if i'm saying you don't belong here i'm just as racist as anyone else um this whole thing about i, I just changed our wording at uh one of the space organizations instead of saying um i, I formed a diversity or a, a council there actually so I can say that this is space for humanity, the one I, the main yep. one that I'm with. Um, and we did a, a statement of, uh, of solidarity. I, I, I'll send you the link to that yes, because that's one that, that, that kind of encapsulates my feelings on all of this. Um, the, in that statement, um, there, there's a, there's a side of this where we have to be able to say, look, I either see um, the, the people that are trying, let's just say the allies yes. that are trying as, um, as a threat or a resource, just simplify it to that. Like if, if I'm, if I'm also, uh, let's just say if I'm a, a, a white person that just 
says that racism is out there and it should probably go away, but I don't really believe I have a role in it or whatever. And then I've seen people like that start to say, well, Black Lives Matter did this thing. They yelled at people that put up black tiles and used the wrong hashtag. That was mean, you know, or, or they're talking about defunding the police. That right. sounds mean. I'm just putting my, yep. you know, middle-class white hat on. Yep. And, 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 and to say that, oh, so that sounds mean. And I think, well, how does a few hundred years of slavery sound to you? Does that right. sound mean? <laughs> yes. What, what about that dad having to talk to his kid, black father talking to black son, especially, about uh, how to navigate the police? You know, what about those situations? Let's remember that as we go into this and maybe give a little bit of grace for how these things are received and so on. Um, I think that we, or let's just say allies over here yep. and, and primarily white or white passing allies over here. And let's just say the Black Lives Matter anti-racist movement over here. We have to be able to, first of all, everybody has to be included in being an anti-racist. Right. Period. It's the only way it'll work ever. Uh, and that message goes to all sides. For sure. <laughs> Everyone needs to be on team anti-racist, period. Yep. So Black Lives Matter, and that, that, on, on that side, we have the, the responsibility of welcoming people in and of training and redirecting when necessary, rather than condemning and, and, and belittling and so on, because we don't want people to come up here and say, I'm ready to fight with you. And then you say you're doing it wrong and they go home. That's mismanagement of, of resources. <laughs> right, for sure. Um, and and I, I got into this discussion earlier with somebody on Instagram the other day. Uh, and he had just read Ibram Kendi's uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist on my recommendation. Right. Talked a little bit about it. He came back saying some things about Black Lives Matter and like, oh, they shouldn't be doing this way and this way. And I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> You're a white dude. I'd caution you on saying that sure. on, on social media. Uh, however, I'd also then challenge you and say, look, are they in the way of racism, of, of anti-racism? Or are they, in my opinion, the most valuable resource out there? Right. That doesn't mean are they doing everything the way that they should, or are they always being kind, or are they always whatever? And and, and it's just if we're gonna get nitpicky about that, if I see another white person send me a video that says, "Here's a black person saying racism doesn't exist," and I'm like, "Well, here's a Ku Klux Klan white man <laughs> that's saying that they're a racist and that." other races are scum and so on and so on. It's like, that guy's not speaking for me or you yes. or anyone else. There's variety in black folks, just like white folks. We need to allow for that, please. So, and we also need to like, we need a question. You know, this is always like a root for me is like, you know, uh, you, if our defense to our beliefs is the use of the enemy instead of like our own beliefs. You don't know what you're talking about, right? Like I've always believed that like any, like, and I can simplify it to like Apple and Android, right? Like as weird as that, weird as that sound, like I, when someone comes to me and like, I hate Apple, um, I'm an Android fan and they tell me everything bad about Apple. I'm like, you don't love Android. You just hate Apple, right? Like, and it's like a, right. it's such a different, right? Versus being able to be, and I, and I think you all, there's also this piece too that you said that I think is so important in this space right now is we also have to be willing to read the room and read the message for what it's worth. We have two yes. guests coming upcoming on this show, uh, Crystal Washington and Africa Miranda, two of my really good friends. And both of them posted on social media within the last couple months of like in, in some version of um, please don't have me on your podcast or, or video talking about racism like that. Like I'm not saying yes to any of those. Right. And of course they're both coming on the show and the, the, to me, 
when I approached both of them to be on the podcast, I understood where they were coming from for that message. But I had multiple friends, I mean, multiple friends in the podcast community. How the hell did you get her to say yes? Like, did you not see her post, right? And I think that's the, like, there's a little bit of the ignorance of the white, of like the, the, where is that coming from, right? It's the, hey, did you not see this? Hey, I need you to be my one black friend. Like, I'm not racist. I have a, a black friend that knows my name or, you know, like that whole piece of it, right? And I think we have to put ourselves in check. And like, one of the things for me was like, I was having some tough days and I wanted to disconnect a little bit from a lot of this, what was going on. And I laid in bed and I was like, man, Brian, it's tough. You've had like four tough days, like having to difficult conversations and feeling like you're alienating people my friends have had 39 years of that, that are black, that I was like, how the F can I be like the, woe is me, I need a break, like, is this thing going to go away eventually, because it's, it's, it's a burden, like, how the hell can we even, like, put ourselves there, if, if we're truly empathetic, right, if we're truly feeling that, right, and, like, Adrian right. Porter, who's uh, the vice president of marketing over at Patron, um, wrote a really powerful article, I think I shared it with you, um, from a dad's perspective, right, and right. he wrote these pieces, and I, I, I sat down with my daughters, and, you know, I have 10, 9, and, uh, and 6, and, and, I, and we were having the conversation, and one of the things I thought was really interesting, you know, like, this whole conversation of, like, if you don't see color, you don't see people, right? And if you watch kids interact, kids interact in a place of human, right? Like it, it's, it's not even the fact that they're not seeing color. It's the fact that they, you know, they, they are looking at this all human and being equal. But there, there is an underlying piece. And I think you've helped me a lot. I love your Instagram stories. Your Instagram TV, I'll put that out there too. For those that, you know, I'm a, I'm a video, you know, like just the way that you, you know, kind of get on the mic and kind of just spit it real is, is, you know, much appreciated. You know, you also approach things very much into this idea of like, hey, if you're, if you, if you are an ally and you want to make a difference and you are, you know, you have to be vulnerable, you have to be willing to maybe say the wrong thing, get slapped. And when you get slapped, you have to be able to continue, right? And there are lines. Would you take a couple of years to help deconstruct, right? A couple of slaps to help deconstruct years of racism. Like, would you do that is what we're asking allies. Correct. It's like, and you know what? If, if, if it's a little difficult and you stumble along the way and you have to be vulnerable and you have to look like a donkey every now and then, would you do it? Yes. Would you be willing to do that? Right. And that's probably the, yep. <laughs> would you be willing to press the damn button over and over again, yep. knowing that you are going to be learning out loud and we're going to figure this out and you have to literally unlearn some things <laughs> and you have to feel things that you were never felt before or exposed before or willing to feel. But then you also have to come to, a realization in many cases of things, people experiences you've had in life that were just wrong. Right. Like, and even like, so for me, like um, the, the trans community has been one that I've been um, just spending a lot of time recently in, in like this whole, like, Hey, I'm going to approach things differently. And, you know, I watched uh, pose. If anyone has, isn't watched the TV show pose on FX, it's on Netflix right now. It's simply amazing. It's just, an, it's, uh, it's transgender actors and actresses. They're all, playing their actual roles. So it's not, you know, straight people playing um, role. And it's just a great show. And there's a couple documentaries around that, that piece of it. But there was also like this conversation that I was having in that piece of it, right. Of like, I need to have a difficult conversation so I can also learn how people are going to respond to the way that I convey a message. Right. And I think you are so great at that. Like you are, you're, you can, cause you kind of allow that 
vulnerability and forgiveness. And I think, you know, brands need that right now. Like, I mean, I love that brands are taking stand. I mean, like everyone pulling off the Redskins until the, you know, Daniel Snyder, I live here in Northern Virginia. I mean, I mean, I remember in 2013, he was like, I will never, as long as I own the team, change the name, right? Well, all of a sudden, Nike, FedEx, like all the brands, Walmart, they're all pulling every, like, Walmart and Target just took all the Washington Redskins um, stuff out of their store beca- uh, because of this. And it's like, you know what, this is, that's how we like force people that are, you know, bigot, you know, so disconnected. You know how many petitions I've signed over how many years to try to get that stuff pulled down? Um, and all the, the I'm not your mascot campaigns from the Native American community. And well, and you know, and, and part of that too is like, are also, it's like, so my, my, my daughter, my daughter's mom teaches at Stonewall Jackson High School right here where I'm at. That's where I, Ibram Kendi went, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. How funny, small world. And, and also like, so like I was, you know, I worked with the government for a long while, like Fort Hood. I, I, I spent a lot of time in a lot of military bases that were associated, like that were, you know, that, that there was, I didn't associate, I didn't connect it until I saw it through these other eyes. Right. And I think, you know, part of this whole message uh, and, and for those that are listening, like, I mean, I just love your work. We're, I mean, we're definitely doing more stuff together. I just love being able to, you know, drive conversation, get people to think a little bit differently. I think the, the key thing here is that perspective, right? And like understanding that role you play, but also yeah. willing to play other roles, right? Like, I mean, it, it can be very powerful to, to be in your one role, but what, what, would it, what would it benefit others and people around you if you're willing to take on another role, right? Like to me, that was a, that was a big piece in, in a lot of, of my journey. Um, and I also think there's, there's also... And, and I would love for you to kind of touch this as we kind of wrap up this episode. Like, are there moments or things or places of, I, went, I don't like the term lost cause, but there is sometimes where you have to shift your attention and your focus to where you know you can make a difference versus things that are like batting your head against the wall until it's not beneficial for you or the other person. How do you look at that? How do you kind of, because I mean, you have difficult conversations. You're an advocate for many different things, but you're also you know, being strategic in, in everything that you're doing, how do you kind of, I wouldn't say, cause it's not like a black and white as funny as that is. Um, it's, it's, how do you look at something of saying, okay, this is when I know maybe it's not best for my time or best at this moment. Like, how do you kind of look at that? That's tough because I mean, ultimately I'm looking at, I'm just constantly paying attention, a lot of attention um, and, and trying to be super tuned in and listen, um, and, and to read the room, as you mentioned before, uh, to know, you know, obviously knowing my audience is <laughs> part of my job For sure. um, and, and, and that of all my clients and their different audiences and different voices and, and when to say things is, and the sensitivity of that is so important when COVID started, you know, breaking out here in the States, my job all of a sudden turned to every, all my clients saying, oh my God, how do we navigate COVID? We need a statement. We need this. Yep. We need to know how to do this. What, what about the timing? When do we announce this? Can we fundraise right now? Can we do this? And I was, you know, I had a lot of opinions on that and that's now disseminated out through all my clients. Um, I think that you've got to be, you've got to know your role. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got to lean into the pain and the discomfort. Um, 
And, and I really think that it is a matter of just building that empathy muscle to such a degree that you couldn't possibly not do something after knowing these things. Yes. If you're really a human that cares a whole lot and you are given new information. Like, dude, do you remember when we were kids and you like your parents would throw you back in the car and like maybe if you had a rope or something, you were lucky, but you didn't get a seatbelt or no way. Like a car seat. I have like a $400 car seat for one of my kids. I know. And, and now, and like back in the day, like they just throw us in the back. We'd sleep in the package tray, you know, oh, on, yes. the way back, on the way to Ohio. Dude, my feet were like above my head half the time I was in the car, like laying on my back. Didn't even know. I mean, pfft. I rode to Ohio on the back of the, the little pickup truck. You know, we were BMX <laughs> racers, so we had a little truck and all that. And, and I just rode in the back all the way up, man. Anyway, my point is, is that once we learn new information, a lot of times we just say, oh my God, I'll never do that that way again. I'll never think that way again. That'll never be acceptable or okay in my world again because I have this other information now. And I think that's just, that's part of the empathizing is saying like, I'm going to lean in, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be, I understand that I might fall. I might get slapped even along the way. I might even get punched in the face. But if I actually care that much, I mean, is it worth it? Would I do yes. it anyway? And, and I think that's really what we have to ask ourselves. And, and, and I think it's, oh, I'm going to say this too before we close. Yeah. I think it's important to understand what it is that we're actually fighting for here. Like, like we, I think that gets lost sometimes. It does, it does. And, and I think that, well, if I'm just going to say what I'm fighting for, to be very bold about that, what the two things that I am focused on in America as it pertains to race and, and, and racial inequality and oppression and all the other negatives that we can talk about um, is racist policy. That's the institutionalized yes. racism that we talk about. It's policies that are racist in nature. Um, you do four hours podcast on that. <laughs> and then, and then the second one, and this is the one that I focused on most of my life and it has to do with how we see the world is the cultural racism. Yes. Um, culture is, is really just the group think. It's how, we, how the most pervasive group of people here thinks, which is scary sometimes. Um, but it's our culture in America to do things a certain way, to receive people a certain way, to perceive people a certain way, and so on. That really is, is so I, I'm saying we have to change the way we see the world, to, and, and that will show yes. up in our culture. And then we have to change the way we respond to all of it, and that will show up in our policy. That's probably the best way I could wrap it up is just to that. say it's those two things that we're, that we're working towards. And honestly, in knowing your role, I think you just need to pick like what one fits you, man. Yep. Uh, like what, what is it that you could do in that regard? And maybe it's just saying I'm going to be a white ally by and then fill in the blank. And maybe it's just I'm going to watch lots of documentaries or read an actual book on racism instead of getting it all from Instagram yep. and watching all the videos that are pumping through there. But like, I'm going to read a real book on racism. Pick one. There's lots. Yep. Great. Ibram Kendi's a great one. Uh, ta quotes and, and, and so on. Um, these, like if we, if you really care about something, you study it, Yes. you lean into it and, and, and maybe go into university for, four, six, eight, however many years it is that you're, whatever it is that you're doing, that's not easy either, but you signed up for it because you care. And you, and you, you also have a desire or something, but what? You, you have a desire to take what you've learned and become different because of it, right? I think like if you watch the empathize and then respond accordingly. Respond accordingly. Yeah. Yeah, if you watch the 13 documentary and you get to the end 
and it doesn't transform the way that you feel or look, you did not approach the documentary with a desire to to be empathetic. You approached it with, hey, I want to see what they're telling me I'm doing wrong. Or I want to see what they're like. And, and, and to me, that like, I mean, I, I, I cannot say anything else more important than that, right? And I think part of it has to come back to us and saying, wow, okay, are we, are we even approaching our learning of the topics in an empathetic way, right? And I think that's so important because you have to be willing to feel to truly understand some of the, you know, and like it goes into putting yourself in the shoes of that person, having that perspective. But I also think, I, I love that you, you kind of teed it up there at the end there where it's, you know, it's the idea where we have to know what we're fighting for and we have to know the role that we play in fighting for that. And I would also even add to it that sometimes you won't figure out your role till you lean into one and realize that's not the one for you. Right. Like there is, there is something kind of beautiful. I mean, like, Whoa, like I'm not really good at playing that role, but because I know I'm not good there, it's allowed me to learn something else. And, uh, Jared, my friend, you are one of my favorite humans that somehow we ran into each other in a hallway in a conference center. I mean, in San Diego convention center, thank you to, uh, you know, just the fact that we were connected and, you know, this won't be, like, I love the conversation. And for those that are listening, right. They've a lot of this with press the damn button is like, we, the action is, is the key here, right? It's the actions that we're willing to take, the actions that we're, and it comes down to transparency, vulnerability, authenticity, um, believing in what you believe in, taking a stand, making a difference. And like my core value of always is like, I, I want to help empower great people to do great things, but we can't do that until we treat people equally. We have solidarity and we bring everyone to this equal ground. And I don't care. I will, you know, as soon as someone says all lives matter, we, we are not giving black lives matter the chance to be on equal ground before we fight for all lives matter. Right? Like this is, this is one of those pieces. And I, and Jerry, I love your mission. I'm going to include all your writings in the show notes. Um, there'll be a blog up on the website. Um, for those that are, you know, for, you know, shout out to the sponsor of the show, uh, restream.io who powers our live stream broadcasts. Um, if you guys go to brianfanzo.com slash restream, I have a brand new landing page up there with a video of why, the, my five reasons why I like the tool. I'm using the tool. Um, also just some of the, the, the things that break down around that and the podcast. Um, you'll also see a blog from uh, the episode of the podcast I was on with Jared um, a while back that, I mean, it's definitely worth listening to. I, I listened to it uh, last week and it was exciting, but uh, Jared, thank you for rolling with me with the, the uh, technology issues that we've had uh, last week and this week. Um, and I look forward to the next time we can uh, continue this conversation and, you know, push this forward. And uh, you're an inspiration, my friend. I, I truly do appreciate you. Hey, brother, I, I'm grateful to, to have a, a chance to be on the show. I'm also, take this moment to say, grateful for you using your platform the way that you do. And what we talked about on my podcast, and, and I've seen you since then be con completely consistent in, in what you took on you know, before then and, and, and even in that moment. And I'm grateful for that because that is what being an ally <laughs> to humans is about. It's about saying I'm going to use my platform to be vulnerable, to go out there to, to, and be willing to make some mistakes, to be willing to, to fumble the ball every now and then and say, yeah, that's just part of it. That's how we do this. That's how we do this. So I appreciate you having the sand to go out and do what you're doing. Thank you. Thank for you, being my friend. Human and for, for contributing to a more harmonious world. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a great one. Cheers.